Hello, I'm Stuart Devine, and welcome to It's Not All Bad. Thank you for joining me. I was just thinking it would be an understatement to say that the last six years have been a whirlwind of accomplishments. Space tourism is here for the wealthy and famous to travel to the edge of space, although I wish it was for people like in my economic income block. We have the horrors of COVID-19. They were met with the force of medical science, producing vaccines in rapid time, in fact, in under 12 months, which in a normal process can take 5, 10, even 15 years. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, or what we call the CDC, the general stages of vaccine development are extensive, including exploratory stage, preclinical stage, clinical development, regulatory review and approval, manufacturing, and quality control. Then you still have the necessary follow-up with tracking side effects once the vaccine is administered into arms. This is truly an amazing feat that has taken place in science and understand when we're putting our faith in science. Other notable positive events and innovations, well, it continues with in-depth research, development, and production of electric passenger vehicles, even with autonomous self-driving features in some models. Now, I'm not exactly ready for that, to get in a car and start having it drive me around by itself, not with the number of accidents that happen in the world over. The U.S. is also experiencing the first woman, and black woman at that, elected vice president of the United States. It's certainly one of the, that's going to make the history books for sure. And something truly remarkable and wonderful are workers gaining more benefits, rights, and increased wages. Now, granted, much of those workers' gains are related to fallout from the pandemic, but the gains are real, needed, and important for so many households. Indeed, this should be welcome news for urbanites, suburbanites, and people in less populated and industry-deficient areas. Another achievement is the U.S.'s Infrastructure Investment in Jobs Act, commonly referred to as the Infrastructure Bill. And by the way, it became law on November 15, 2021. This includes funding for improved roads and bridges, modernized public transit systems, upgrading airports, seaports, and waterways, improving power and water systems, and improving the nation's broadband infrastructure and working to increase affordability and access for many economically challenged and rural areas. Uh, this is some fantastic stuff. I, I granted some of the stuff won't happen, I imagine, for another couple of years, over five years, or maybe even sooner, but it will happen because it has become law. Now, on a more social front in America and in many countries around the world, there's been an increase in discussions about race and gender equality. These are positives, not negatives. Although, unfortunately, certain demographics will consider it a regression as opposed to progression. Now, there are many issues negatively impacting people's lives here and worldwide. It's still comforting to know there are still good things happening anyway, in that, well, what can I say? It's not all bad. On a somewhat positive note in the U.S. again, there was a confirmation of electoral principles in the process of confirming well, the majority of the electorate's choice of president over the angry rhetoric and attempted insurrection on January 6, 2021. Yeah, a negative, strong, absolutely. It was in our faces. The world saw it. It was on the news. It was in the newspapers. It was on social media. But liberal democracy and the electoral system still won out. That is a positive. Unfortunately, 
Just as there can be no light without darkness, no sweetness without bitterness, and no joy without sadness, there still remains a large push for demonizing others, often for the de facto purpose of gaining or retaining power, especially political power. We're seeing this play out in so many places in the world. There was even such a harrowing event of such striking audacity that happened on January 6, 2021 in Washington that compelled many people to express concern about the fragile nature of democratic principles, specifically liberal democratic principles. Now, those who know me personally realize almost immediately that I'm not an historian and facts and figures can confuse me for sure. If there's anything that I do realize over the decades, however, of watching fits and starts of various forms of democratic principles, well, democracy is fragile. It must always be respected, nurtured, and cherished. It's just like water, it's just like grass or anything else, and just like children. We have to nurture and keep it going because it can always fall by the wayside if we're not careful. And just a friendly reminder, the United States, just as in the case with many countries with democratic principles, is a republic. You can find many definitions for what is a republic, but most conform to this idea that the laws are made by representatives chosen by the people and must comply with a constitution that specifically protects the rights of the minority from the will of the majority. I emphasize that protection of the minority, which isn't about race or ethnicity, is critical to a viable and thriving republic form of government. We've seen this played out throughout the decades. On the other hand, a pure democracy is one in which the people directly elect leaders and make laws in which, in theory, could ignore the rights of the minority electorate who didn't gain power through that system. So, as you can imagine, with any kind of democratic republic, there are give and takes, fits and starts, good and bad, and we still make it work. It's like sausage. We know that. And I would hate to see it being made, but something about it is still pretty tasty in the end for some people. Now, there are people, while having faith in the aspirational nature of the U.S. Constitution, truly believe that it and the Republic are invincible and nothing can destroy this experiment. Ho, ho, ho. That may or may not be true, right? There's a reality that we're in a time in which some demographics in America and around the world are now questioning the very fabric of the voting franchise to the point of welcoming various local governments' efforts to enact significant voter restrictions. Of course, this is even happening here in the United States. Many people are finding the idea of liberal democracy, one in which individual rights and freedoms are protected, and universal suffrage, in other words, voting rights, is an absolute abhorrent concept that should be changed to ensure a particular group or party remains in power. This is happening in many countries in which citizens are questioning the concept of a liberal democracy in favor of some kind of strong man, a strong person that they feel will create stability and regain a sense of honor that's often associated with various kinds of grievances based on, you know, racial, ethnic majority, this who's losing, who's gaining. I'm, I don't care. I want to gain at the expense of the other. And if the other is getting something equal to me, well, that's not fair. Well, a recent Pew Research Center poll of citizens of five liberal democracies, including in the U.S., it was conducted in the spring of 2021, found that 35 to 54 percent 
believe that their form of government needs reform. And I don't mean just a little bit of tweaking on the edges. We're talking about serious change. In the same research, there also indicates some correlation between increased economic anxiety and the desire to change the form of government. We know when people can feel it in the pocketbook in the negative way, then they need to lash out to find out what is going on. And guess what? There's going to be some person or some leader that taps into that grievance or that anger or that frustration or the confusion to move the government in the different direction. Now, in America, a Pew poll conducted in July 2021 found that 57% of those surveyed said voting is a fundamental right for every adult U.S. citizen. Think about that. Only 57% of those surveyed, and that's from a country with a relatively brief history of being a republic for less than 300 years old, but with the most progress for its citizens than countries with centuries-old societies. Only 57% believed in that fundamental right of every citizen to vote. That's not a good percentage in the Pew Research poll of a major Western European democracy, those polled really wanted to change to a different political system. They wanted a complete overhaul of their government. Drilling down deeper into these sentiments, many are calling for more authoritarian, not more representative forms of government. Now we can segue into how do these, well, how do those people seeking power in the liberal democracy gain the support of so many in such a relatively short period of time. It's not complicated. I mean, we all know that. All that's necessary for a leader is to tap into various grievances and equally important is to demonize the other. Who is the other, by the way? Well, it has a different religion, different skin color, certainly even different nationalities. We can go on and on and on. That really moves a lot of people in directions. That's probably where we shouldn't go. Well, I'd like you to listen to this audio clip taken from a popular thriller TV series. It's about three minutes or so, but worth the time to listen. This is about a man who wishes to gain followers, power, and support for his cause. Of course, and as you can already imagine, it's not uh, for a truly worthy cause. Take a listen. Let us start by your learning. What are the dynamics of a crowd? How do you move a mob, Mr. Fuller? How do you excite them? How do you make them feel as one with you? I don't know how. Join them first, Mr. Fuller. Join them? Yes. When you speak to them, speak to them as if you were a member of the mob. Speak to them in their language, on their level. Make their hate your hate. If they are poor, talk to them of poverty. If they are afraid, talk to them of their fears. And if they are angry, Mr. Volmer, if they are angry, give them objects for their anger. But most of all, the thing that is most of the essence, Mr. Volmer, is that you make this mob an extension of yourself. Say to them things like, things like, they call us hate mongers. They say we're prejudiced. They say we're biased. They say we hate minorities. Minorities. Understand the term, neighbors. Minorities. 
Should I tell you who are the minorities? Should I tell you? We! We are the minorities! That way, Mr. Former. Started that way. Understand, I think I understand. Neighbors. Neighbors. They call us hate mongers. They say we're prejudiced. They say we're biased. They say that we hate the minorities. The minorities. Understand the term, neighbors. The minorities. Shall I tell you who the minorities are? We, 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 we are the minorities. Because patriotism is a minority. Because love of country is the minority. Because to live in a free, white America seems to be of a minority opinion. I've seen it before. I've seen it all before. That was another time, Mr. Gantz. Another place. Another kind of people. That doesn't go here. That's what we said, too. Part of the passing scene, too monstrous to be real. So, we ignored them. And then one morning, the country woke up from an uneasy sleep. And there was no more laughter. This audio clip is from the original Twilight Zone television series. This particular episode was first broadcast on January 24, 1963. It was season four, episode 24. If you have the opportunity to listen to the entire episode, you will find it quite interesting and maybe even enlightening. Even then, the series creator, Rod Serling, who also produced and wrote this episode, knew the past often is present and future. People who would devour liberal democracies are always there. Yes, often they're not as vocal, maybe not often seen, but then the moment of the period of time becomes evident and they come forward. No, not with the best of intentions for all of that person's fellow citizens, but mainly for a specific group or demographic that will propel him to the position of power, prestige, and government control that he seeks. If that means finding a certain demographic, or ethnic, or racial group, or religion to demonize, then so be it, because the warped ends, well, justify the warped means. All through history, citizens have stood by and truly applauded as their very lives would eventually be negatively affected by autocratic and authoritarian rule. In recent history over the years, releasing the Kraken, and I love that, you know, in all those movies, they always say, release the Kraken. Well, guess what? Releasing the Kraken of influential and power-hungry characters have often resulted in violence, trampling on the voting franchise rights of minorities, and empowering and enriching that person's friends and family members. Well, 
this is normally, you know, commonly referred to as grifting. Those purveyors of division are effective to the point of persuading thousands, in some cases, perhaps even millions of followers that a legitimate election was overwhelmingly fraudulent and stolen when quantitative and investigative results absolutely demonstrate otherwise. How does this happen? And what's the nexus? Well, this person or this would-be leader has to tap into a particular demographic's grievances, especially latent racial and ethnic animus, which unfortunately is often very effective and it's in most of us. Then that leader persuades those supporters that he is one of them. <laughs> and I'm laughing because even though the vast majority of those very same people supporting that leader are usually not from the economic or social class from which this would-be leader hails in the first place. In fact, this leader may even find those throngs of supporters abhorrent on a personal and social level, but useful on the path to attempting to gain power. This leader and supporting organizations will even have a high level of success in persuading his followers to even vote against policies and programs that are in their interest. The followers have an interest by persuading supporters that the perceived less deserving people may also benefit from those policies and programs. In fact, in many studies from around the world, many followers will even support or at least overlook the graft and corruption of that leader. The very same leader that's speaking against graft and corruption. So why is so often this the case? Because that individual leader, if you will, may say what they feel and speak in closed circles. So you understand what this means, right? So many people are not out there with a boghorn or a bullhorn saying, I hate that group, or I hate that group, or this group, or they're on the grift, or they're on the dole. They normally speak it within closed circles, maybe at the dinner table, coffee shop, maybe at the club, wherever the case may be. But when you get that leader that says, I'm going to say what you have all been thinking, and then people go, here we have a savior. So you see, that's why even those supporters who are on the lowest economic scale will feel superior and even emotionally gratified if other demographics are made to appear weak, dishonest, lazy, on the dole, slackers, and guess what? Not true patriots or lovers of this country or that country. But there's always the absolute go-to formula for these people who crave power. All they have to do is convince the followers that there's only that one person who can solve all problems. That's right, only that one man or woman who can bring dignity because the others have robbed the followers of this trait. Only that leader can bring back some warped perception of the glory days, you know, for the followers. When often those days contain less representative democracy, less rights for women and people of color, and certainly anti-LGBTQ. Whatever that leader does, rarely will they use terms such as all, I say, all of the people in the respective country are worthy of respect. Oh, no, no, no. They're not going to say that. They often will not use terms such as compassion for others, assisting and helping others. No, no, no. Don't want to do that. They certainly won't insist on voting rights for everyone and making it more easy. Who, heaven forbid, they may not get into power. And equal rights? Oh, that's antithetical for wanting to gain power. Now, we certainly want to talk about equal rights. 
but often the speeches are about taking our country back. And I say to myself, taking our country back to what? Or making something great again. What does all that mean, making something great? Is your country not already great? Of course, let's never forget that tapping into the follower, followers' grievances and anger by blaming and demonizing the other are tried and true trademarks of power seekers from decades and centuries past to the president. Racial animus is always a tried and true method of releasing and weaponizing anger. Some would-be power-thirsty people have even weaponized various social programs such as healthcare, social safety nets, and other initiatives and framed them as socialist or communist, you know, anti this, anti whatever that country is in theory, but not in practice that would threaten democracies. And yes, those power seekers and elite supporters are adept at using the very same liberal democracy machinery and principles to gain power while all the while trying to minimize democracy once in office. As we've seen in the past and present in some countries, after that person is placed in the position of power, then comes the grift of taking care of family and friends, attempting to co-opt military leaders, limit voting rights, and then change the judiciary. As I mentioned previously, I'm no historian, and I'm certainly not a fortune teller, but if anyone thinks liberal democracies are not under significant pressure to accept authoritarian rule and suppression of the other, well, take a look at history as recent as early as, well, the 1940s to present day. If not careful, a country's liberal democracy values of we, the people, can quickly become I, as your leader, am the people. Yes, I agree that all things perish, but don't let this be the time when people who love and respect liberal democracy and true representative government stand by and see control to the wolves in wolves clothing that's being seen in plain sight. It's not like these people are hiding anymore. They're out there. You see what they're all about. You see what they do. Today's would-be usurpers of liberal democracy tenets are open, absolutely open about what they want and in many cases, how they plan to get it. So is there a call to action? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Learn about the issues, not just listen to what newsmakers say, but look at what newsmakers do. Vote in local and national elections. Support causes that support the real franchise of liberal democracy. Avoid the easy trap of letting nefarious folks successfully appeal to your worst nature when it comes to your fellow human beings and citizens. Is any of this easy? Well, some may or may not be, but some actions, yes, while even the others can be complicated. Although democracy is somewhat messy, this is the system that continues to work for the most people and by its nature desires to be inclusive. Even with all of the political turmoil around the world, especially in liberal democracies, it still remains our time and my time too, and your time to continue making a positive difference in political discourse, to continue growing the practice of we, the people, through representative government. Do not let anyone take this down. Take care and vote when the time comes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As always, you can listen and subscribe to It's Not All Bad wherever you download your podcasts.